The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Rack and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security. This is a newscast for episode 175 for the week of August 10th, 2020. Alex, it's hot. It's hot these days. Oh my gosh. Um, I, I can't believe kids are going back to school. It's so hot. Oh, I, can't, I can't believe it. I don't know. How, well, they're not really going back to school, well, right? They're... I can't believe that theoretically kids are going back to school. Yeah, I know. We were, just, we were just talking about before we started recording, both of our kids who go to different districts and different schools are going to be doing two days a week in yep. person uh, or, or maybe or, less. We'll see. I don't know if you saw uh, this past week, there were some uh, school districts in other states that started back to school. I believe there was a school in Indiana that made it 90 minutes before they sent all the kids home because someone was sick. Yeah, I think if you're a sta- determining success based on having no one with COVID in the school, yeah. that's a pretty poor determination of success. Yeah. You, know, you have a thousand kids in the school, like you're going to have a number of them. So the plan needs to be much better than that. Yeah. 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 Hey, well, that's not our job. Nope. Our, we, our job is to uh, is to sit here and look pretty and talk about security things, right? And you know what else our job is, Rob? It's uh, to hang out and talk on the Slack channel. The Slack channel? There's a Slack channel? There is a Slack channel. If you want to join over 1,500 of your closest Colorado Equals Security friends, uh, go to the website, colorado-security.com. Click the link for the Slack channel, and you will be there with everyone else. And if you uh, while you're on the website at colorado-security.com, you can join... Our mailing list, there's a link right at the very bottom there. Put your email address in and you will get one email a week that will include the show notes from the podcast. That's it. That's all we send. Uh, we do nothing else with your email. Nothing. Uh, we would also love it if you subscribed to the podcast at your favorite uh, solution, whether that's iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, whatever it might be. And if they have the ability to rate us, we would love you to do that too. Uh, I mean, hopefully it'll be a five-star rating. Um, but, you know, we, we would accept, you know, 4.99 also. And any of the stars that you give us, as long as you do it with love, we'll be happy <laughs> with that. Uh, by the way, why don't you tell a friend? Uh, tell a friend about the movement that's happening. Obviously, we are a podcast, but, you know, we like to think it's a lot more than that. It's a community that we're, you know, we're building here in Colorado around security to amplify the cool stuff going on. Get a friend involved. Hopefully that'll help change their career for the better as well. Also, uh, we do have a Patreon campaign if you would like to support us financially with all the costs associated with the, the podcast and everything else that we do. Uh, again, website, link to Patreon, uh, sign up there. Depending on your level, we might get you some cool stuff. And we have, an, we have a feature interview this week that was done by one of our, our favorite guests. Um, Jason Jakes did an interview for us. Uh, we really appreciate those folks in the community who help out getting the interviews. And if you're interested in getting involved with that or being interviewed, uh, sit, drop us a note at info at colorado-security.com. Awesome. Uh, let's get on to the news. Uh, first, Rob, the average price for a home sold in Denver in July was over $600,000. That's a lot of money. That's like jumbo loan range, right? In the jumbo loan range yeah. already without, you know, just for the average. That is, it's just an incredible. Yeah. Um, it's like I, the Bay Area. It, it is like the Bay Area. Um, just so we're clear, when I bought my house almost 20 years ago now, it was not $600,000. Yeah, was it so, what five ninety? Now, now it's like yeah. two point five million. I, I was below average. Yeah. You know, I was below average. So. Yeah. Well, I, I like I, I like to see things, uh, you know, becoming more more popular here. It, it is a bummer that it makes it so hard for for new families to get into the housing market. Hopefully, the folks are able to find solutions for that. Um, I thought there was another interesting fact in this article, though, 
Um, they also said that in June of this year, they sold uh, in the Denver metro area, there were 6,664 closings, which is the record for any month ever. So people got out of COVID and they were ready to buy a house. That is crazy. Uh, either that or uh, people got out of COVID and they can no longer afford their house. So they were all selling. Well, someone's buying though. They're all people, maybe it's the people, people who can't afford. Guy. <laughs> people who can't afford from California are now right, buying right. here. Anyway, yeah, one rich guy sitting there smoking his cigars <laughs> in all of these empty yeah. houses. <laughs> can't wait till they come back looking for houses. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, there was a an article this week in uh, Colorado Inno talking about um, a podcast that Brad Feld was on uh, about the future of remote work. So Brad Feld, if you guys don't know his name, you should. Um, Brad Feld is kind of the the Mark Andreessen um, of of Denver. Basically, brought venture capital to Colorado. Uh, one of the one of the founders of TechStars, one of the founders of the Foundry Group, um, really has been a big part of making Denver a startup hub. Um, and of course, he's a very successful man as a part of that. And and anytime he talks, it's worth listening. Yeah. So if you want to know his thoughts on uh, the future of remote work, uh, check out the article and and check out that podcast. Um, all right. Next, we have a we have another kind of Boulder based announcement. Creative Alignments, which is a, a they're kind of a recruiting company, but they've launched a new service that's really helping new graduates land tech jobs. Uh, yes, Rob. And I read this article and I have no idea exactly what they're doing, except for that. They're looking for a cohort um, of folks to try and get them jobs. So what I, Alex and I read this and we were both like, what, what exactly is going on here? Uh, it's not super clear. What it is clear to me is that they're looking for folks who are, who are right out of school or, or looking for, you know, to make a career change who want to do this in a kind of a cohort fashion. So they're going to get a group of like, what they said, like eight or so people together to, to, to tackle this problem, look for what skills are important. What are like the, the attributes you're looking for in your career and, and try and find a job in a little more creative way. Um, it looks like there is a fee for it, but the article says name your own price. Right. For the first cohort, they're just trying to get people in. So uh, they'll do it for whatever price you want. So it, it is the, the, it's the career accelerator launch program. So my, my thinking is that they're, they're trying to do some coaching with folks and uh, get them to be more marketable so that they can place them somewhere for more money so that they, you know, the recruiting firm then makes more money, but then also the people get better jobs. Yeah. Well, anyway, maybe worth taking a look if you are looking for a new job. Um, next, we have an article around um, Amazon was about a year and a half ago, bought a, a company in, in Boulder that does um, autonomous robot development. Um, that company was called Canvas Technologies. And then during COVID, they've really had to change how they do their business because it was all in, in the office before. Yeah. And so uh, the article is detailing how they were able to continue to build physical robots um, and prototypes while people were working from home. So uh, it, it's interesting how they had, you know, some of the engineers uh, took pieces home to their garages and basically were working out of their garages and then, um, you know, sort of shipping back and forth between people's garages to get different pieces put together. Um, these are autonomous robots. So I think in at least one case, they had the, the robot actually move itself from one person's garage to another. That's pretty amazing. That is pretty amazing. Uh, I imagine that this has got to have had a pretty significantly negative impact on their ability to quickly create prototypes. It's got it's got to hurt, right? Uh, I'm sure it does, but I am sure it is not as bad as if they couldn't do it at all and they were just sitting on their thumbs yep. for four yeah, months it's a lot or whatever. Better than that. So, all right. Uh, next, some bad news out of Lafayette, Colorado. 
uh, the city was the victim of a ransomware attack and ended up having to pay a $45,000 ransom. Right, so the link in the show notes is to a press release by the city. Um, there was, We found some other coverage as well, uh, including a video with the mayor. Um, the mayor is uh, Jamie Harkins, and she says, uh, I got a quote, I can tell you that using taxpayer funds to pay a ransom was definitely not the avenue the city wanted to take. Yeah. Well, that that's true. And, and this is, I, I think, you know, I never want to... Um, rub it in for people who have these bad things happen. It, it just, it happens to, to everyone, right? I think it's a, a really good lesson that I think we need to talk about more, share the fact that, you know, a, a small city is a target and, and that taxpayer money is worth getting to if you're a criminal. So I think the more folks who know it, the hopefully the better they'll be at defending against this. Yeah. They also noted in the article that they thought that they would be able to have recovered. Um, this was a lot of, um, you know, financial kind of back office kind of data that they could have reconstructed it. Um, but it was more cost effective to, for them to pay the ransom than to have to spend the you know the much longer amount of time and people resources and money to restore the data. Oh, how painful though. Yeah. It's so so uh, unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, at least they weren't a a Garmin or a Canon or somebody like that that's paying you know multi million dollar ransoms to get their their data deleted. All right, moving along, uh, moving to the security company news. Uh, Logarithm won an award. It's actually their fourth consecutive Gartner Peer Insights Award for the uh, uh, the SIM customer choice. Yeah, so uh, I think most people know Gartner. Uh, they're an analyst firm. And so they solicit feedback from actual customers of various different products. And so based on that feedback from customers, um, they put out the awards and people seem to like Logarithm because they've won four years in a row. That's awesome. I mean, it does speak highly if your customers say so much positive about you that you know things are going pretty well there. Yeah, that is a good thing. Uh, next, we had a blog post from Swimlane talking about the uh, SANS uh, survey, which is closing the critical skills gap for modern and effective security operations centers. So they did a good job kind of pulling out some highlights and, and we love highlights versus reading whole reports. So why don't I, we just... I, I read the whole report, Rob. You didn't read the whole report? Oh, why don't you go ahead and take that? Take this over then, Alex. <laughs> Let me start reciting by memory the, the entire report. Uh, um. but, but we do have a few highlights that I think were worth calling out here, starting off with uh, staff turnover is an ongoing concern, and everyone is worried about that. Uh, definitely. Not even just for SOC, but for everywhere. Uh, there is a, a strong demand for managed service providers. Mm -hmm. uh, They're seeing people... Uh, continue to uh, to use and and grow the use of managed service providers for their SOC services. Um, some tool specific skills are prerequisites for new hires. I personally think that's bad. I think I think it's much better to to look at you know, less tool specific skills like the ability to 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 code and understanding you know how uh, the network uh, you know network architecture works. Um, but they they're seeing a trend around around tool specific requirements. Yeah, I will say some of the things they list here are. Tools like Wireshark, which for a SOC operator, I mean, it, that's... Well, it says well, Python, which isn't well, a tool, right? Yeah, well, and, I mean, and, and using Wireshark, I mean, yes, using it is great, but the, the skill that you have from Wireshark is actually being able to look at network traffic. Anyway, um, also, uh, organizations suffer from lack of security metrics to justify resource needs. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that doesn't surprise me. I, I think in many cases, it, it is hard for people to show that they, they really need more resources. I think that's especially true with these... Uh, really reactive teams who are spending so much of their time with break fix tick you know ticket shoot troubleshooting um, it's hard to you know get step outside of that reactive cycle and now really plan and, and be able to show the justification when you when you need more folks yep and the final point is that force multiplier tools like soars uh, are key to sock effectiveness and efficiency you think that might be why they 
they wrote this blog post? Definitely not. I can't imagine that was why. All right. Well, moving to our next story, there's a blog from Ping this week uh, talking about risk-based authentication, integrations for better, better digital experiences. So this starts off with basically what is risk-based authentication? Alex, what is risk-based authentication? Uh, Rob, risk-based authentication is authentication that is based on risk. Oh, I, I like how you did that. <laughs> uh, basically, you're looking at factors uh, such as you know, someone's current authentication status, um, the risk associated with what they're trying to get to, maybe where they are, yeah. you know, other context pieces, yeah. uh, not just, you know, do they know the password or not? Yeah, I, I like, you know, the, basically taking a, taking other context to make decisions around authentication. The blog post does a good job breaking those up into four categories. The, the, the sections, that categories they use is device reputation. So the device you're connecting from, is it known to be part of a botnet? Is it, know, is it coming from Tor? Is it, you know, these different things that tell you risk about that. Uh, second one was user behavior. Is this person acting like a normal user or more like a malicious user? Um, you know, clicking lots and lots of links all at once. That's more like a, a, a scraper than it is a, a person, right? Right. Uh, network risk. So what network are you connecting from? Um, what, what have we seen coming from that network? And finally, behavioral biometrics, which kind of feels similar to user behavior, um, but it's, it's really a little bit more on like keyboard patterns and other things that you can get over time to know that, that this is you know, how Alex behaves on a device. Uh, you know, are you typing at the right speed or is, uh, you know, is there a, a bot that is putting in keystrokes for you? You got it. Uh, all right. Next, uh, we had a blog post that came from uh, Tech Republic, which is talking about the FBI's announcement this week on the end of Windows 7, um, which obviously the end of support for Windows 7 has already passed. So it was definitely interesting that the FBI um, made that announcement this week. You would think that they know something that you know right. we don't know uh, to uh, to give us more insight into this because uh, there are still a lot of people that have Windows Seven. Like Windows Seven might be a place that bad guys are really focusing on right, right now, huh? And, and you might also say, well, what does that have to do with Colorado? What does that have to do with Colorado? Uh, so in the article, uh, there are a few quotes from uh, Chris Abbey of Red Canary. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. So um, good stuff and good insight by Chris in there. Uh, lots of other insights from other folks as well. I mean, I think, you know, the bottom line here is get rid of Windows 7. And if you can't get rid of Windows 7, you know, take some extra precautions, either isolation or other things like that to, to make sure that it can't be attacked. How or, many times in our careers have we had to talk about <laughs> getting rid of old versions of Windows? Um, I, I mean, XP feels like the biggest one. XP uh, was like, how many versions of Windows have there been, Rob? <laughs> so, so it's <laughs> n minus one is the number we've had to get rid of. Correct. Are you still getting rid of uh, NT three dot one? Is that that's still a task for us? For us uh, all? I'm sure somewhere it is. I'm sure any any company that's been around since the '90s has a, an NT three dot one sitting somewhere, right? Yeah. That's yeah. why. That's why I'm glad to be at Ping, where we have zero NT three dot one servers running. Now, if I get an e an email from someone internally that we have one running, I'm going to be very disappointed. Uh, all right. Uh, final news article this week. Uh, it's a blog post from Red Canary, and uh, this should uh, seem like a, a similar trend. Uh, this is talking about defending our schools from against cyber attacks, and this blog post was written by Chris Abbey. Yeah. So, so Chris, I, when I met Chris, he was actually. Uh, helping run security for Douglas County Schools, so he definitely has a heart for for schools and trying to get um, students to be um, 
you know, secure what, what their data is secure rather. Um, so he really, what he's done here is got together a bunch of different resources that would be useful for schools to help, to help uh, secure their environments and their infrastructure and really put them in one place. So a school administrator has, you know, a, a resource that they can use. Yeah. Some of it is links to other articles. Uh, some of it is uh, data that he's sort of consolidated here. Um, it, overall, a very good uh, list of things. So if you are in education or anything else for that matter, uh, take a look at that. Well, I think it really forward this link over to your your school administrators, right? If you if you know any uh, anyone who's maybe not a teacher, maybe someone who's more an administrative or or IT for a school, it'd be a really good share. I agree. All right, let's go to our Slack message of the week. A uh, big thank you to Andre Gata who helps support this. We get to buy one item from the Colorado Equal Security Store each week that you know allows someone in the community to walk around with a big logo on their chest or whatever or body part they choose. Mug or back of their car yes any of that baby's diapers yeah you know all that kind of stuff yeah uh so this week's winner is alan gordon congratulations alan he posted a comic uh it was about a job interview and you know in one pane it's it's talking about the interview where you know they're basically asking you to jump through hoops and do all kinds of crazy stuff and then uh in the job itself is the the other pane and it's like make the button bigger (laughs) yeah the left is i think invert a whatever Invert a binary tree or yeah. something like that. It's on the whiteboard. And then right. in the job, make the button bigger. Yeah. yeah. That's about all of our lives, isn't it? Right. It's, you know, testing developers to make sure that they can do stuff right. And then that they don't ever need to do. Right. It's, <laughs> yes. All right. Well, congratulations to Alan. We'll hopefully get you an item from the store and uh, you can walk around with some sweet, sweet swag. Awesome. Jump over to events. Remind we remind you, we do have a calendar of events on the website. Uh, if you if you want to go look at all of the cool things that are happening virtually over the next couple months, take a look there and you can... Uh, Look way further into the future. Here, we'll just talk about the next two weeks. Uh, first event, SecureSet is doing a cybersecurity capture the flag for all levels on August 13th. Also on the 13th, the Northern Colorado ISSA is doing their August chapter meeting. Uh, not on the eight, on the 13th. On the 18th, uh, the Cloud Security Alliance is doing their August meeting. And on the 20th, the Colorado Springs ISSA is doing their August online meeting. Uh, yeah, and that's all for events. However, coming up, not too far after that we have a lot of events that are starting to build up i think coming into fall people are getting out of summer and and trying to get more events going yeah and don't forget that the uh, call for papers for the uh, cloud security alliance is still open right now yeah for their fall conference fall summit thingy yep that'll be good all right let's talk about some jobs pretty good job here to start us off yeah uh chi which is now known as common spirit health uh, is looking for a vp of cyber solution engineering sounds like a lot of fun so if you could engineer cyber solutions, this is for you. Uh, AMN Healthcare is hiring a senior director of information security. Greenhouse Data is looking for a manager of information security. Insurity is hiring an information security analyst. Logisticare is looking for a senior security engineer. So this is the one we were talking about. They were, they've been trying to hire a VP or a CISO for a while, right? right? And, uh, and, and now there's an engineer. And what we don't know is did they hire the CISO and now this person wants to hire an engineer or did they decide, you know, yeah. we don't need a CISO. Let's just get an engineer instead. Exactly. I don't know. Let's find out. But somebody should apply yeah. and we should figure it out. Uh, Dish Network is looking for a 5G architect for orchestration and security. That sounds pretty cool. It sounds really cool and it sounds like a really hard position to find too, <laughs> yes. I bet. <laughs> you need, you need uh, 14 years of experience with 5G. Right, right. Good luck with that. Uh, Open Table is hiring a security engineer. I didn't know Open Table hired in town, so that's pretty cool. Yep. Uh, DCP Midstream, uh, if you're looking to get into the lucrative oil and gas industry, is hiring a security analyst. An industry that for... will, never, <laughs> will never end. 
Uh, Do you think that they have three analysts below this one that this person's going to come in above? Uh, maybe they were trying to hire a CISO, and then now they've downgraded <laughs> it to a security analyst for. All right. Uh, CenturyLook is hiring a senior security engineer. And Red Rocks Community College is looking for a cybersecurity registered apprenticeship intern. So this one was interesting. It didn't look like you actually had to go to Red Rocks Community College, but they have an apprenticeship program. So if you want to uh, get in to be an apprentice somewhere, it sounds like you can just apply to that. Well, that so, sounds like a really good deal. Yes, it does. So Well, well we have, we have a, that's it for the That news. is it. That's it. But we do have a feature interview. What? Um, so uh, Jason Jakes sat down with Mike Riggs. Um, looking forward to hearing this interview. And uh, obviously, we're going to know a lot more about Mike, who I have not met yet. Yeah, um, I don't think I have either. Here as soon as I listen to this interview. All right. Should be good. All right, everyone. Have a great week. Thanks, Rob. This is Jay Wilson, CISO of HealthGrades. Welcome to Colorado Equals Security, the podcast for Colorado security professionals by Colorado security professionals. Colorado Equal Security. This is Jason Jakes. I sat down and interviewed Mike Riggs, the VP of Strategy at Perch Security, although we didn't sit too close because it is still 2020. Can we be done with this year already? Anyway, here's the interview. Enjoy. Hey, Mike, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful, brother. How about yourself? I am doing great. Nice. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is the first official interview I have done post-quarantine. That's awesome. It's, uh, it's, it's nice to actually see human beings again. I know. It's kind of weird and scary a little bit, yeah. but, uh, but nice. I'm going to see if doing podcasting is similar to riding a bike. Hey, let's try it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a good chance none of this will turn out well. But I'm, hey. I'm just excited there's not a video camera in front of me. I'm about done with Zoom. So oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what's new with you? You know, uh, just surviving uh, quarantine, getting out of that, uh, you know, just, just yeah. kind of uh, looking around what's going on in the world and scratching my head. And Talk and, to uh, me yeah. about your quarantine experience a little bit, like going into it, like take yourself back three months ago when the world was going crazy. I'm guessing, um, were you one of the toilet paper buyers? No, actually. So oh. uh, we already have a Costco membership, so okay. I already had that problem taken care of. Nice. You, you know, the whole hoarding thing was uh, was already pre-built, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. How was your March? How was your April? It's been a long time you know, since I've seen you. So I think... Uh, Let's see. Last time we talked, it was probably what February or so. Uh, um, maybe, yeah, maybe yeah. January. Yeah, January, February. Uh, yeah, when we had lunch. Uh, but uh, you know, going into quarantine in March, uh, I don't think you know we were quite prepared as to. Uh, I think our biggest challenge was what school looked like for the kids, um, and uh, and adapting to e-learning. You know, being a technologist myself, uh, that that was an entertaining experience uh, going from. You know, more or less having the kids out of the house uh, for, for eight, you know, eight hours a day, five days a week, uh, I'm full remote as it is, uh, to having them hanging around the house like it's summer break. So right. that, that was fun. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. yeah. So like I said, I think there was 87 days in March. Um, That's what <laughs> it felt like much at better. least. <laughs> at least. And then April was also at least 150 days probably. Totally. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the upside is, is, you know, tax day got kicked down the road. So, you know, April wasn't as painful as it could have been, but yeah. you know, that's always good. Yeah. But you got through it. Totally. Your, uh, your kids, are they, um, how's your school district? Are they going to be back in yeah. School? So they're saying that uh, at this point they're they're looking at going back full full force. They're going to make some accommodations for kids just you know being in smaller cohorts and things like that. Yeah. But it's going to look relatively normal. So yeah. I'll be interested to see how that works. Huh. 
any new hobbies through the quarantine? I have uh, been running far more than I had previously. Nice. Uh, so I'm already a distance runner as it is. And so uh, with the gyms closing down and all that, I was yeah. like, well, I mean, why not just focus on one thing and do a ridiculous amount of cardio? That was that was about it. And, oh, oh, my scotch intake did go up as well. So okay. that was, yeah. I was going to say so, my, uh, my yeah. alcohol intake yeah. definitely increased. 100%. I've been working on that. Some of your hobbies are biking and hiking. Yeah. So more time to do that, right? Yeah. So I have been experiencing the great outdoors here in Colorado, right? I mean, we have some of the most amazing open spaces in the world, at least uh, from everything I've found. Uh, And so we've been spending a lot of times outdoors, uh, a lot of time uh, uh, mountain biking, and then just getting lost in the woods. It's been been quite nice. So we... uh, we went to uh, a monument yesterday, actually, yeah. for Father's Day. Okay. And uh, hiked up Plaja Peak and, and just had a good time out there. So nice. Did you, a few hours. did you actually get lost in the woods? No. No, okay. I ended up finding my way back. But There you go. Yeah, yeah you, do, uh, you do like 50 milers or something? What, what is your... Uh Sure. So um, I've done a couple of 50Ks now. Okay. Uh, right now I'm right in the middle of doing a really dumb thing. So over the course of four months, uh, it's called the Great Virtual Race Across Tennessee. So it's 1,000 wow. kilometers over four months. So it's something like 5.8 miles a day I have to do. Okay. And uh, that has been uh, a fun challenge to keep me busy and, and keep me, you know, at least on, on some type of routine. So that's been fun. But it's virtual. It's virtual, yeah. So Tell me you, about that. How does that work? So you end up logging your miles uh, every day, and you're competing against you know 18,000 of your closest friends who decided that this was also a good idea. Yeah. So you just put in your mileage, and you know okay. it's, it's just kind of a, a friendly competitive thing. And at the end of it, you know the goal is to to have have a thousand kilometers under your belt. Is it is it kind of like the Peloton where you can actually view what you're running? Uh, so I actually, it's kind of a fun thing. So you. Uh, you put in your mileage and it keeps track of your cumulative mileage and it puts you kind of where it thinks you should be on this route in Tennessee. So okay. you can do the whole Google street map thing and or, yeah. or street view and, and just kind of explore the best that, uh, that rural Tennessee has to offer. Yeah. So what is the best? Uh, so far I've seen a couple of, uh, of grade of, of graveyards. Um, oh, okay. let's say a dollar general has, has yeah. been on the route. So, you know, it's, it's, that uh, is it's fantastic so far. <laughs> Quite scenic. Uh, that's funny. I know you've got some traveling stories yeah. as well. Tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about where you've been. Oh my gosh! So um, I started out my my career in uh, K twelve education, and, and that didn't take me uh, too many places. But uh, soon after that, I decided to become a Department of Defense contractor. Okay. And, uh, Signed up to go work in Afghanistan for for a few months. So so that was uh, one of my uh, first fun out of the country experiences. Was uh, re- promptly relocating to a war zone. Wow! Uh, doing infosec. So when was that? So that was back in 2011. Uh, was okay. when I I went through and did that, and uh, that was an absolute. It was it was February 2011. As a matter of fact, that was an absolute whirlwind of of events. You know, between uh, getting in processed by by the U.S. Army uh, to be a, uh, a civilian contractor overseas, and yeah. then uh, being being quickly uh, uh, inducted into that entire process, it was it was just absolutely crazy. So, you know, so if you look a little bit at the history of Afghanistan, it's kind of cool. Uh, back in the '70s, it was a, uh, a really westernized uh, country uh, before the Taliban came in and, and took over and, and decided to send them back a couple of millennium. Um, but, uh, you know, just, just really cool history. Um, you know, the people there are actually pretty reasonable and, and nice and, and accommodating, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, they just have 
the uh, the infrastructure challenges of a war torn country for the last you know ha- half a century more or less at this point. So were you there helping the people or helping the military or like? <laughs> Helping the military, so I was uh, there okay. on a uh, on a U.S. Army contract, uh, supporting what's uh, lovingly f- uh, referred to as HBSS, their host based security system, okay. which, uh, which at that time was uh, uh, you know uh, uh, running McAfee Epo. So okay, so, yeah. were you able to get out and um, kind of see a little bit? The- yeah, okay, yeah. So a little bit. Uh, you don't venture too far beyond the green zone. Uh, it, it's not too terribly safe beyond that, but yeah. it's uh, it's. It was definitely an interesting experience. Yeah, that's certainly certainly notable. Gives um, you a whole new uh, a whole new perspective for po- uh, uh, for poverty too. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, where else have you uh, been? Uh, so, I think I've probably checked off almost every state at this point. Uh, you know, some fun times in, in Vancouver, um, uh, doing some some infosec work as Vancouver's well. Vancouver's so, not a state. Well, well yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> But Vancouver the, uh, is beautiful. The, the, the great Canada. Right. Yes. Yeah. So, um, uh, spent a week up there, uh, uh, helping, uh, one of our current partners, uh, the mining and minerals, ISAC, uh, uh-huh. they had a booth there and they were doing some infosec stuff for a large mining conference. And so okay. we had some fun, fun, some fun doing that. So, yeah. So I got to explore Vancouver, and I was, I was Canada is one of my favorite places to go. I've yeah, always, yeah, it was always neat. enjoyed going up there. Tell me about how you got into the industry. So, um, because you because you started yeah. in K twelve, right? Yeah. Were you a teacher? No. So I actually was over in, in technology for a school district uh, for a number of years. I started in ninety nine for a school district, but even before that, I I did some uh, some fun dot com things. Okay. Uh, uh, doing help desk, but uh, so I was the second uh, technology employee the school district had. Wow. Um, and so soon after that, my boss left. <laughs> Okay, and so I was the only t- technology employee for a while. So you became the boss. I became the boss pretty quickly, uh, and then uh, we started growing, and uh, we hired a, a technology director at that point, um, and uh, kind of went from there. Uh, slowly started evolving as uh, you know the school district began growing into more of a security focused role. Uh, I was I was doing technology uh, technology architecture primarily at that point, so. You know, starting to bake security into the solutions we were deploying inside the school district, making sure that, you know, the kids can't do the bad things, uh, but still giving them uh, a, a, enough leeway to uh, to actually use the network, right? I mean, yeah. it, you can lock technology down to the point where it's totally unusable. And that was always a fun and interesting challenge. Uh, we had some Cisco Networking Academy uh, t- uh, type of kids out there, so they'd always keep you on your toes, uh, you know, with... with uh, with the network and systems architecture pieces. Yeah. So always, always good stuff there. And then, uh, so, so yeah, uh, politics ended up driving me out of K-12. So that, that was, uh, that was, that was the end of that. Should I ask about that? That that was, uh, a, 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 a dark, dark time for me. No, um, (laughs) (laughs) no, I, well, I mean, so we'll just put it this way. The, uh, the, the political climate of the school district I left made going to Afghanistan seem appealing. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, that was, that that was a fun time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, and then, uh, so you went from the K-12 to Afghanistan, then where? Yep. Uh, so came back stateside, uh, worked a little while uh, for uh, DOD, uh, again this time uh, over, at NOR, uh, over at NORAD NORTHCOM, uh, doing some active directory work for them. So, oh, yeah? So yeah, I, I uh, 
ran ran some Active Directory architecture over there for for a little bit of time. That was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah. So very cool. And then and then so after that, because uh, there's a bank in here too. I know there is. Yeah. So um, I spent about a year doing DoD work. Okay. Um, and and total and one of the guys I had worked with at the school district was doing some network stuff over at a bank, and he said, "Hey, uh, we've we've got a position open. You should apply for it." I'm like banking, really? You know, I've already gone from K twelve to to DoD, and yeah. now you know, let's let's switch verticals again. And right. uh, so poked at that opportunity, and uh, ended up uh, running information security over there for them for close to eight years. Okay, uh, until they were acquired, uh, and uh, you know, found myself looking for for a gig again, and uh, that's where I'm at now. Is uh, is Perch so? In your role at Perch is what? So I am vice president of product management and and strategy. So, okay. Uh, which is just really a fancy way of saying if it moves, I should probably nail it down. There you go. So, That's a good way to put it. It's that whole other duties as assigned thing. <laughs> uh, very cool. I like that. Yeah. yeah talk to me about uh, what led you to to uh, join Perch. So, um, and this is perch security. Yeah. Yeah. So perch security. Um, so really, uh, it was after, uh, banking and looking at the highly regulated industries and really just being generally, uh, dissatisfied with the vendor landscape out there. Uh, and I made a couple of friends along the way, um, had, uh, met the CEO, uh, of, of perch when I was doing some more, uh, uh, some work with the financial services ISAC when I was in banking, um, and met him. And so uh, he had showed me this this uh, this fun little idea he had on a PowerPoint deck at one of the financial services ISAC summits, uh, and said, "Hey, you know, we're thinking about doing this thing, and uh, and that thing was, you know, let's bring threat intelligence in and uh, and and apply it to your traditional IDS and host most of it up in the cloud." I'm like this is this is absolutely amazing. And so uh, from that point, it was I I. Uh, I, I was interested at the bank. We were one, uh, one of their first customers. And so when uh, the opportunity arose and I started looking, uh, both Aaron and then Wes Arciso were like, hey, you should, you should come look over here and, and, and chat with us about you know, what you've got going on. So yeah, that was, was kind of how that happened. So you've now been there two years? Uh, going on two and a half. Okay. So officially I started in, I want to say it was February of 2018. So two and a half-ish okay. coming up on. 2018 was a much better year. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely not been the dumpster fire this has. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> IDG, the CIO Executive Council. Yeah. Uh, you've had a couple of mentors from that, right? Yeah. Tell so about that. Uh, that was an incredible opportunity. So uh, the CIO Executive Council, uh, IDG, they uh, put together a whole bunch of different uh, uh, industry trade publications, but they also have kind of this mentorship leadership grooming program as well and so i would say i think it was probably 2016 uh, i had the opportunity to partake in that and uh, a couple of fantastic executive mentors over the years be able to uh, you know help hone in on the leadership style uh, the best ways to you know communicate value to the board because you know as a propeller head techie guy you know it's always fun to say hey you know you need this latest cisco firewall because it has you know these these firmware features and stuff like that and right. this is and this is how it's going to get you but it's not the way the board speaks um and so you know just 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 learning over the years how to convey the business value of technology um and how it applies and you know uh the risk reduction that uh the information security programs bring 
and and just being able to talk in terms of the business uh, has been incredibly valuable. And that's one of the uh, the the really neat things that uh, that came out of that entire engagement was, you know, if you're leading technology for an organization or security for an organization, yeah, you have all the technical pieces there, but you have the the, the people and process there as well, and how does it actually apply to your business? And so, being able to step back, take a look, and and, and kind of get that that MBA view of uh, of of how it all applies to the business was yeah. uh, was an absolutely amazing experience, and having some some top tier people uh, there to be able to walk you through it was uh, was absolutely amazing. How did you get involved with it? Uh, so. Almost accidentally. Uh, so they do a couple of events a year uh, or, or or an event every other year. So uh, uh, every other year it's hosted at the Broadmoor and then uh, it's hosted out at the Terranea in, in Los Angeles uh, on the opposite years. And I had attended it and so did my CEO at the time. Um, and uh, we just started chatting with them and they're like, oh, hey, we have this thing if you guys – you know, we're interested. We have a full bench of uh, of some executive leadership people, and you know, we have access to all kinds of great things. They're they're trade publications, so they've got access to the research and right. all the all the people doing that. So it's it was really really interesting to to yeah, kind of go through that be. way. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. Uh, any special shout outs to uh, any of your mentors there? Olga, but. Uh, uh, Patera was uh, absolutely amazing. So she is, uh, is is down in South America, and uh, she um, is really cool. Uh, she is driven for uh, bringing women representation to boards of financial institutions. So uh, the, the whole financial institution uh, thing is is near and dear to me. But then seeing how uh, she is is really just just trying to bring some real change uh, to the way uh, that they're run and just an absolutely amazing information security professional as well. So Cool. Very yeah. cool. I know you've got a lot of passion for uh, InfoSec for uh, small and medium-sized businesses totally. as well. Yeah. Um, why is that? Um, they're not afforded the same opportunities. Um, if you look at most small and medium business, uh, their, their information security programs are non-existent at best usually uh, unless you're a highly regulated uh, business, you know, if you're in healthcare or finance, you, the odds of you having something are are pretty great. But beyond that, um, it is uh, you know things that have been implemented where the business sees the value. And so, a lot of those solutions, a lot of the information security pieces are usually scaled out for enterprise. Yeah. And so, one of the biggest challenges that I found in my career is how does the little guy do this too? Um, you know, if you're resource strapped or or whatnot, you know, how do I get all the cool people, process, and technology that the big boys have? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm in business too. I should be protected, right? Right. Um, and so that has been one of the uh, the fun things that's been near and dear to my heart. You know, how do you uh, apply fun things like the cybersecurity framework? I mean, I, I don't know if I call the cybersecurity framework fun, but, uh, you somebody know. Somebody does. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, somebody's, somebody's finding great joy in this. Uh, but, uh you know, how do you take a lot of those those practices and scale them down? Uh, and in a lot of cases, uh, you find that you can't, or at least with existing tooling. And so, you know, it's it's going back to the assessment of, okay, well, what do I already own? 
you know, what are the things within my control? You know, some great technical controls like just implementing group policy right. or taking away local admin rights are, are always great starts that a lot of small and medium business don't don't even necessarily take. So what are the quick wins there to at least be able to help you uh, increase your security posture? Uh, starting to have awareness of where your data is, where it's kept, and who has access to it is is another one that it's really low cost. Um, usually it's just a conversation. They're like, oh, yeah, Joe has access to the keys of the kingdom, but we're, you know, we really don't trust Joe right now. Okay, well, then why does he have access to the keys of the kingdom? So, yeah. so uh, just having some of those really fun, fun conversations. And then, uh, you know, it, Perch, too. I mean, that's that's really one of our, our target markets is the small and medium business, the managed providers, yeah. uh, providing value, you know, to the market that has traditionally been woefully underserved. Yeah, you found your niche. Totally. It's taken a lot of travels. Yes. But you have you found where you uh, where you belong and where I'm, you can help the people. I'm thinking you, uh, so. I'm hoping so. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Let's talk about some of your other community involvement. Yeah. So you are involved in FSISAC. Yeah. So uh, I was uh, I was involved with FSISAC. So uh, first of all, yeah. what is FSISAC that, for those that don't know? That's a fantastic question. So um, ISACs uh, in general are uh, industry-specific critical infrastructure um, uh, sharing and analysis centers. have been uh, – I think the executive order was 97-98 where – there were critical infrastructure verticals that were established. Financial services happened to be one of them. And the thing that came along with that was the concept of, of an ISAC, so an information sharing and analysis center. And really, it's just a fancy way of saying, hey, uh, we offer uh, resources for doing information security program planning, so all hazards playbook, physical security, um, for, uh, acting as a uh, – as as an intermediary for threat intelligence sharing all the really cool fun things that you know as 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 a smaller bank i was like oh this is perfect you know it's it's kind of the co-op right yeah uh for for information security and physical security and so that that was uh was really neat and so i had the opportunity uh for a little while to uh lead up so um the fsisac uh has a community institutions council uh which was comprised of uh or, or which is comprised of banks and credit unions that are under $50 billion in assets. Uh, and when you're talking banking, that's considered really small. <laughs> uh, and so I had the opportunity to be the chairperson for that. Uh, it was roughly 3,500 or so uh, member institutions of that. So that, that was a lot of fun. Okay. And some really, really great relationships were built out of that. And, yeah. you know, just uh, having the opportunity to to give back the uh, the years of technology and security experience. Now, was it all virtual, or would you guys all collectively get together? And so, uh, a couple times a year, the Financial Services ISAC has what they call their summits. So it's their it's their conferences, and so uh, the, there was always a cadre of, of community institutions that would always always come, and so we'd do our thing, and you know the big banks would do their thing, and yeah, it was, uh, it was, it's really interesting. Uh, you know, especially seeing the bleed over with the bigger banks are like, hey, that's kind of cool. What are you guys doing over there? Or, you know, yeah. uh, it's not necessarily an opportunity that uh, a lot of, uh, of smaller institutions have. And so that, that was always really neat to be able to get together in person. But otherwise, otherwise it was uh, it was a mailing list that I would probably uh, liken to Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if uh, if you could survive the, the onslaught of emails, you could probably get some value out of it. OK, <laughs> so. How does one get involved in uh, ISACs in general, and I and I suppose the the FS ISAC? Yeah, so um, if you just Google um, 
uh, you know, financial services uh, ISAC, or there's the HISAC, which is the healthcare uh, ISAC. There's there's a whole bunch of them out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, technology has the IT ISAC. Um, you name it. Uh, so usually it's just googling, hey, what's the ISAC for my vertical? So in in, in the case of healthcare, and then going to their site and. Uh, um, if you're a uh, healthcare organization or, or uh, medical device manufacturer, whatever it happens to be, uh, they usually go based on the size of the organization. So not everybody's having to pay $100,000 to join and actually get um, uh, some benefit out of that. Uh, and so they, like in banking, they went based on your asset size. Uh, okay. So, so how large of a bank were you uh, in healthcare? I believe they do something similar based on uh, the number of practitioners or something like that. Um, and so they just have scaling membership fees and um, really, really amazing community resources uh, for 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 general infosec stuff. Some great policy and uh, and regulatory guidance. I mean, all kinds of really neat things. Yeah. Yeah. Are you still involved with it today? Not nearly as much as I was. Okay. Uh, still know some of the faces, chat with them on the occasion, but not nearly involved with the, okay. the community so you're, piece. You're uh, not running it no. anymore. No, that that was. Uh, I ended up giving that up when I when I left the bank. Uh, when I left the bank. Okay. So. Okay. What's Oasis? Oasis. So uh, Oasis is a standards body. So um, really cool involvement there. Uh, so they. Uh, so my CEO, uh, Aaron Chernin, was one of the uh, co-creators of the Sticks Taxi Protocol, so a standard for threat information sharing. Uh, so Sticks being uh, here's 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 how I describe and communicate a threat. Taxi being here's here's the transport method. So think of that like HTTP. Right? Okay. Um, but uh, had the opportunity to be involved with uh, the Sticks 2.1 uh, uh, revision. And going through and helping define some of, some of the newer concepts, such as analyst opinion. So when we're creating threat intelligence, and you have an analyst that's staring at it, and they put in Google DNS for the 800th time, you know, 8.8.8.8 is malicious when in fact it's not. Uh, there's now the concept of being able to assign an analyst opinion to that, saying, "Hey, uh, the rest of this intel is great. This one indicator is terrible. It needs to go out." Um, or this one observable needs to go out. And so being able to bring some community feedback in, into the whole threat intelligence creation thing, it's, uh, it's, it's one thing that needs so much work. Um, we're still operating based off of, you know, domain names, IP addresses primarily. Um, you know, if I, if I receive um, a list of indicators of compromise, typically it's IP addresses, maybe some, some hashes, and maybe some domain names. But always, always IP addresses, um, and uh, being able to train and give and complete that that feedback loop of what does good intelligence look like, right? Um, so hopefully, you know, the thought process behind that is once the IP intelligence gets gets downloaded enough, these shops that are generating threat intel actually look deeply into what they're doing, um, and uh, and 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 refactor and find new ways. Um, a great example of that is uh, is is somebody like uh, um, Proofpoint. Uh, they have the emerging threats list or Cisco Talos. Um, when they produce threat intelligence, uh, it's extremely high fidelity th- threat intelligence because they're looking for for specific indicators compromise based around you know hey does a regex of a packet look like this? That's far more consistent with the the activity of 
you know, CNC for malware or something like that, then, um, you know, it reaching out to the IP address in DigitalOcean that gets burned after 24 hours. Okay. So how'd you get involved in that? Uh, so, uh, uh, my role at Perch, uh, actually kind of drug me into that a little bit. So, um, just having the opportunity to contribute back to the, uh, the standard has been, yeah. been uh, a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. So. Now there's another thing where, uh, we're just going down the list of all the things okay. you're, you're all, involved all in this stuff and things. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, department of Homeland security, automated indicator steering committee. Yeah. Is so- there like. Is there more to that um, title? Can I? It's like the longest title ever. Um, so really, it's just uh, been a contributor role on the committee for how DHS produces threat intelligence. Okay. Um, so AIS, uh, and you're on the steering committee for that. Yeah. So it's been it's been mothballed mostly um, for probably the last year or so. Uh, okay. There hasn't been much much activity in it, but really giving feedback to the federal government because they have this this fire hose of threat intelligence right. uh, called AIS. And uh, it's more or less just an open, hey, if I contribute to it, it's going to go out. Um, and so there's there's a lot of varying quality in there. And so how do you best vet the intel going out and, and groom it before it goes through uh, instead of it just going out in the DHS stream because somebody said it was bad? Okay. So, so that's been an interesting exercise in how government works, which, uh, you're perfectly, um, <laughs> you're perfectly experienced to talk to that considering your background. Yeah. That's, it's been fun. <laughs> Exponential impact. Oh yeah. Um, let's talk about that. What absolutely. Is it? So exponential impact, they are a startup accelerator down in Colorado Springs. So in Colorado Springs, we have the national cybersecurity center. Mm-hmm. Um, and last year, I had the opportunity to be a mentor uh, for them for one of their cohorts of startups, and so had the the uh, the really cool opportunity to be uh, a mentor for a startup. They were doing uh, PCI compliance auditing inside of Docker containers. Wow! Uh, called Safe Talpa. Um, okay. It was really interesting technology. Think of it like uh, vulnerability scanning and baseline configuration management for Docker. It was it was yeah you know an interesting concept. And so had an opportunity to uh, be a mentor um, for them through the Exponential Impact Program. Um, and uh, it's it's just really neat seeing uh, and and having the ability to at least hold up your hand and say, Hey, um, I've been here, done that. Uh, you know, here's, here's some of the things you may want to consider, you know, have you considered X, Y, or Z? And sometimes it's, yeah, we've already, you know, crossed that burning bridge or sometimes it's, you know, Hey, we, we never, uh, we'd never considered that. So, uh, I, I guess it's probably, you know, kind of along the same, same lines of, you know, you combine your brain power two half of brains, make a full brain. Right. (laughs) So, uh, that, that's, been been really interesting to you know come in and and see these companies as they're uh pitching for funding trying to make minimum viable product tech uh i mean all of these things and just seeing the entire process from from uh you know really cradle uh i mean not not even remotely to infancy but you know really that 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 very beginning stage of of a startup how did you get involved in that uh so um I'd been doing some, uh, oh, uh, it was a, uh, 
what was it? Oh, it was an ISSA uh, event, uh, Colorado Springs uh, ISSA uh, uh, chapter event down at uh, the National Cybersecurity Center. And I got to chatting with one of the guys, and turns out he, he was the uh, the director for the Exponential Impact Program. And I was like, oh, you know, tell me more about that. Right. And so we got to talking about it, and that led to doing a little bit of mentorship down there for them. Okay. So. What, uh, what did you learn about yourself in mentoring others? Um, the thing that I've probably learned about myself in mentoring others, hmm, that I'm still not nearly as patient as I think I am. Okay. Um, and uh, that's always a work in progress. Yeah. Uh, but, um, you know, really, I think that that's, uh, that's the big thing uh, is, you know, I mean, especially if you're talking about these things, you always want to see them. You want to see them. Yeah. You want to see them. You want to see them. And, uh, you know, reality dictates that, hey, things don't get coded that fast. Hey, you know, things don't change that fast. Right. So, you know, I've, I've always long lived in the, uh, in the fast paced change type of environment for, for technology and technology implementation. And so, you know, sometimes it's still, uh, Hey, you can take a step back and, and yeah. do that. And that's, it's, uh, e- even a challenge sometimes at perch, right? I mean, we've got amazingly talented people, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's, Hey, how fast, how fast can, uh, yeah. Can we ex- actually execute change before, you know, people want to start stabbing you? <laughs> yeah. What do you think these people learned from you? Um, I hope that they at least walked away with a little bit of, um, you know, knowledge around, uh, you know, taking a look at how do you go through and assess your target audience, I think, is probably one of the biggest ones. And in looking back at a couple of, of the few conversations, it wasn't even necessarily a problem with technology. Um, you know, it wasn't a problem with, with business. It's just how do we apply this to, you know, it doesn't even have to be a real business problem in a lot of cases, but, but a perceived business problem. How do, we, how do we find that total addressable market uh, for, for the thing we're building and go through and, and successfully you know, execute and, and, and gain interest for, you know, yeah. when you're at the minimum viable project or product stage, um, you're, you're just looking for eyes on a product even at that point or, or, or gauging interest and not even necessarily going full production. Yeah. Are they still working at it? Uh, so as far as I know, uh, so I haven't talked to them in a few months, but, okay. uh, but as far as I know, they are still, still chipping away and, and, yeah. uh, and being successful. I'm looking forward to getting back, um, getting back into communication with lots of people that yes. I have not talked to through all this COVID stuff. Yeah. It's uh it's so weird because I mean, even like uh, the professional social life is just like, I mean, it, the big great pause button was hit. I mean, yeah. there's no great alternatives offered and it's like, okay, cool. I guess I'm just going to be a hermit at home and, and wear pants half the time. Yeah. <laughs> so that's exactly how I felt. Yeah. Although I'm not sure I wore pants half the time. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being optimistic. <laughs> Do you have any good hacker stories? Any good hacker stories? I got yelled at by a school district once uh, for for uh, for finding a SQL vul- uh, in- injection vulnerability in uh, in their applicant uh, platform. That was uh, that was probably my my first foray into responsible disclosure. Okay. This was probably back, I don't know, like 2002, 2003. Um, the, the other school district was using FileMaker Pro for, for doing online, uh, job applications. 
and it wasn't coded the best. And so I was like, oh, hey, look, these, these strings look fun. Oh, crap, there's personal data. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, I mean, really just, just rudimentary stuff um, back then. But uh, that, that taught me a quick lesson that uh, not everybody is really all that open to you saying, hey, by the way, your, your fly is down. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, was, that was really interesting moving forward. Um, and, and shaped a lot of the way I approach, um, you know, hunting things down right? uh, as well, because I mean, I was going with the assumption now that they're going to be pissed. Uh, I, you know, and, uh, thankfully 99% of the time, uh, now most everybody is, is really cognizant that yes, there are going to be security problems. Hey, just let us know, give us a chance to fix it. And then, you, you know, do your release afterward. And, uh, that has uh, has carried into uh, we actually have a um, a security content uh, and and research uh, group that goes through and and uh, and helps um, you know poke at things that have holes things that smell funny you know all of all of those things they uh, um, go through and and actually I mean are are consistently publishing new content and, and all that now. So, yeah, but, uh, I think the coolest thing about my, my current role is seeing the wins, right. You know, where you've been able to help detect, uh, something that was bad or, you know, help, help the customer get in front of something that could have been catastrophic to their business. And so, you know, uh, going all the way from, Hey, you know, your fly is down from what, probably 17, 18 years ago. Yeah. To now, uh, you know, being able to be proactive with with security incidents, I think is has probably been kind of the coolest evolution of you know all the hacker stories along the way, right? Yeah, you know, is is it's just now generally an accepted yeah vernacular, I guess. What uh, school district and is their fly still down? Their fly is long not down. Oh, okay, and yeah, no, uh, no never they, know a school oh, district. No, no, they uh, they actually took it offline uh, a couple of days after that and, oh, okay. and fixed their issues. Um, okay, so they just I mean, didn't appreciate being told. They just did it. not appreciate being told. Uh, yeah. Their superintendent, their superintendent yelled at my superintendent, and you know that was uh, not well received either. So, oh. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. I don't I don't find people's attitudes that way uh too much anymore yeah um, thankfully it's uh it's a much more open and communicative you know ecosystem now at this point yeah so so i had planned to ask you what you think the next five to ten years are going to look like in in infosec but let's just talk the next three months considering everything we've been through in 2020 maybe maybe three to six months what's what's the rest of this year going to look like you know i think there's still going to be an insane focus on business continuity yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at five months ago, we weren't even talking about full, full work from home. What, you know, what's pandemic planning, right? Yeah. Um, all the way to now. Okay, cool. We got through the whole pandemic thing. People are successfully working from home. A lot of businesses haven't shuttered and have been able to successfully make that transition to, oh, crap. Now we have civil unrest, um, you know, and, and no matter what side of, of, uh, of, of the, uh, the civil unrest you sit on, the business problem remains the same. Right. How do I actually keep my employees working uh, during times of uncertainty? 
um, if I have physical infrastructure, how safe is that physical infrastructure now? Because with, with pandemic planning, we didn't need to do that. The virus wasn't going to take out the hardware, right? right. Um, and so we have an unknown ad- adversary that could pose a, a physical threat to uh, my operations. Um, and thankfully, we're doing work from home right now, so we don't necessarily have to worry about the physical safety of a lot of our employees. Um, so, I mean, if you're in a dense uh, metropolitan area, cool, they're already working from home. So, so hopefully they're safe at home and I don't have to, as, 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 a, uh, as a business, worry about the safety of my employees. So I think that is probably going to continue to be the conversation um, as, as this uh, uh continues on i mean uh how do we continue to refine our pandemic plan now um i mean we've got a pretty good idea as to what it looks like thankfully not 50 percent of the workforce died um yeah right but uh i mean there's there's definitely been measurable impact there um you know i'm confident that there have been uh, a number of businesses that have lost physical infrastructure due to civil unrest um, which is problematic for those businesses, but hopefully giving them a chance to t- test their DR capabilities as well. Yeah. Um, and then I think a lot of this probably has accelerated the adoption of cloud. I mean, and I think that's pretty telling. Um, you know, Azure has had some capacity problems over the last few months. Uh, you, you know, Zoom has had their their growing pains. Uh, yeah. They've uh, they've been drugged through the media, and you know, I mean, a, a lot of it rightfully so. I mean. Uh, if, if you're saying you're doing something, you better be doing it. Yeah. So um, I think over the next three to six months, we're probably going to see a lot more of the same. Um, I think, you know, people are starting to return to the office somewhat, but I think you're going to see at least in the next, you know, 12, 18, 24 months, a, a, uh, a, a hybrid model that's still really focused on work from home. Yeah. This is uh, my first trip into the office. We're actually doing this interview from a conference room in my office and uh typically there'd be i mean it's a small office there'd be five to ten people in here yeah literally nobody yeah it's just it's, it's a ghost town man yeah yeah so it's uh i mean it's it's impacted everybody and i mean as we look outside just the uh the parking lot that's usually it's hard to find a place to park oh totally there's six cars out there yeah i mean it's like coming in on sunday yeah <laughs> so yeah. so things are uh things are definitely still not back to normal no and uh I just wonder if they'll ever get back to normal in 2020 or what, what I guess the new normal is. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, three months ago, it would have been unheard of for me to say, no, I'm not going to shake your hand. Right. Um, (laughs) however, now it's, Oh, Hey, Hey, cool. You know, fist bump is just fine. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, all the social norms that have changed, I mean, I think you're going to find that, you know, business real estate is, is, uh, is going to become really cheap really quickly too. Yeah. So, yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense to have some of these offices. No. So it's, that's definitely one of the changes, which I think is long overdue anyway. Oh, totally. Because the work from home concept needed to uh, be more mainstream. One hundred percent. I've I've done it pretty solidly since twenty twelve. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. The last decade, and that's that's primarily what I've done. Um. So what about twenty twenty one? Let's let's project okay. that all of the bad um, wraps up in twenty twenty, and we can throw this this year away. There has to be balance in the universe, right? right. So, what's twenty twenty one going to bring us? <laughs> Sunshine, cotton candy, unicorns, and rainbows. All right, All right. my daughter's <laughs> going to be happy about yes. that. Um, you know, I think um, we'll probably see uh, a focus on uh, additional IT spend, moving workloads out to the cloud, 
um, all the fun security accoutrements that go with that as well. Um, either business is going to realize that the security accoutrements need to accompany it out to the cloud or they're going to find out after the fact. Yeah. Um, one of the things I think um, with those that are thinking about it after the fact is you're going to see an uptick uh, again in ransom events. Uh, because the security posture of the organizations are changing and changing rapidly. So uh, I think the bad guy is going to take a look at that and go, oh, cool, soft, squishy center. Let's go, let's go take advantage of that. Yeah, so that makes sense. How about uh, at a personal note? Personal note, um, you know, so I have a son going in into high school. Uh, so I think all bets are off right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my daughter is going to be, be in fifth grade. Um, you know, really, I think, uh, I think from the personal note, it's, uh, I think it's going to carry on for what a lot of the, uh, stay at home order is brought. And that is, Hey, we, we slowed down a little bit. We're actually together as a family. We're, we're focusing on family stuff instead of going off to activities left and right. Um, and, and just filling our lives with being busy. So, you know, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to trying to hopefully hold on a little bit to, uh, a bit of a slower pace. Yeah. So I like that. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? You know, I think really, um, overall, uh, you know, it's, it's been, especially these last few months have been nothing that I think anybody could have predicted. Yeah. Um, for everything that has been placed either intentionally or unintentionally uh, as as impediments to getting business done, um, you know, be it some absurd health order or, uh, you know, a business requirement or, uh, you know, I mean, things that are just, just outside of your control, uh, you know, the sandwich shop being closed down the street and I want lunch. Uh, being adaptable uh, and 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 uh, you know losing some of the risk adversity we had um, to change um, you know being being more willing to embrace change uh, more quickly I think will will hopefully you know bleed over into uh, other parts into business and into, into technology and the security uh, and, and make people hopefully say hey you know what if we were able to change this at a moment's notice what else could we change at a moment's notice yeah so if you were still in k through 12 uh considering like what all the schools have been through what would you uh i don't know would your hair be a lot more gray uh yes um so uh, in in thinking back about what my role was at the school district um and some of the things we had actually talked about pandemic planning back in oh, 2008 really? 2009 no 2010 kidding. yeah uh we had talked about you know what would would distance learning look like and that was before all these cool things like google classroom yeah uh you know blackboard was was still the 800 pound gorilla and uh there's a free open source project out there called moodle that was was still uh you know it, it was it was getting more and more mature um and so looking at you know now fast forward you know a decade as to how the technology has changed you know yeah. i've got my cell phone in my hand um, you know, I've got, you know, a full-fledged computer that I could actually receive instruction on as a student yeah. uh, from, from this device. I think the, uh, the calculus is, 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 uh, is, is much different from a technology delivery standpoint. I think one of the challenges that education has is uh, they've not necessarily adapted to full concepts of digital learning. Uh, they're still very much uh, 
hung around, hey, I've got a whiteboard in a classroom. I have a set of, of books for a classroom or a set of text. Um, you know, I deliver instruction in this particular way. And then all of a sudden you go out on, 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 uh, on spring break or on, on winter break. Or no, spring break. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it was spring break. It feels like it's been an eternity. Uh, you go out on spring break and you're told, oh, yeah, by the way, you're not coming back to the classroom. Oh, and by the way, you probably won't come back to the classroom, um, I think was was a very sobering moment for education in general. Yeah. Um, you know, not even necessarily from a technology standpoint, but, you know, the people and process standpoint. How do I How do I actually effectively deliver education in a way that has never really been batted about until oh about 48 hours ago yeah so it's it's interesting i think it's interesting that um you know i i looked at it as the the kids have to go physically to school to learn and uh that's not the case it's clearly not the case totally uh the value now is please go to school so that like your dad can work <laughs> exactly yeah i mean there's there's been a lot of things that we've we've built around uh, uh from the child care aspect yeah. of of school and you know i mean i always hate to hate to bring that up because you know it ruffles feathers but you know i mean we have we have state-sponsored child care built in to the education program yeah. right i mean they're going somewhere for eight hours a day while we go somewhere for and eight I hours a day i never looked at it that yeah. way but it's it's a big component of it absolutely and so um the in-classroom pieces i think are probably going to be refactored uh you know in the long term i mean I, I i hope these these school districts look and say hey you know what for for these secondary classes, you know, for things that, that lend well to lecture, you know, American history, right. Um, uh, where you don't necessarily need direct instruction or, you know, hands on, uh, for things, um, you know, maybe they'll look at, Hey, how could we adapt some of these, these curriculum and courses to be better, more efficiently delivered via, uh, you know, e-learning because the focus should be the outcome. Yeah. Did I learn something from this class? Right. And unfortunately, what I saw was, um, d- did you have seat time? Uh, were you checking in? Did you do exactly what the teacher told you? We really don't care if you learned anything, uh, which, which which really felt unfortunate. It's like, okay, so there's no educational value in this thing we're doing. However, you're still demanding it be done. Okay, sure. Yeah. So so it'll be interesting to see how, how, how that, that – uh, that uh goes but uh back to your original question of uh you know how how would i have seen myself um if i was still in k-12 i probably would have abused my liver much worse yeah (laughs) i can imagine so yeah mine's gone through a beating but uh it's looking looking forward to a break that's for sure amen well this has been a lot of fun Mike. absolutely man Um, one i appreciate it yeah yeah one final thing how can uh, people follow you on social media so um, I am on LinkedIn, uh, MSN Riggs, uh, over on LinkedIn, and then over on Twitter uh, at MSN Riggs as well. So Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot. All right. And uh, I'll see you around. Be good, brother. Thank you. All right. That concludes my interview with Mike Riggs, the VP of Strategy at Perch Security. Be sure to follow and support Colorado Equal Security on Patreon. This is Jason Jakes saying, be safe out there. security scene at colorado-security.com where you can see information about local security groups a calendar of upcoming security events and learn more about colorado equals security reach out to alex and rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com until next time remember colorado equals security